Yes, body language and tone. So don't forget, words are about 78% of how we communicate. Tone is about 37% and the rest is body. Hey everyone, it is Angie Wachowski. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of Spark, Bet on You, Leading from the Front. I learned my leadership skills courtesy of the United States Marine Corps, and I am so excited to offer Bet on You podcast to give you a safe space to explore how to take meaningful risks in your life. This season, we are in season four. I can't believe it. Already season four. We're talking about the three C's of risk-taking, clarity, confidence, and courage. So undoubtedly, when you think about the risks that you want to take, maybe it's requesting time off from work or maybe even requesting time off from your family to take a solo vacation. That could be a risk that you want to take. Maybe it's getting into a new position or positioning yourself for a new opportunity or asking for a raise. Or maybe even it's trying to you know work with your family to find more time in the morning so you can take care of you. Whatever you find yourself in, you're going to be in a negotiation. Our next guest, I am so excited that we got Charmaine Cruz here to talk about negotiations because she truly is an expert. Her background is fascinating, which I know you're going to hear about in the her story when she introduces herself on the podcast. But I wanted to invite her because she approaches negotiations very differently than I was taught in business school that you've probably ta- been taught in a corporate environment, you know, where you go in and you sit down and you're staring at somebody across the table and try to go back and forth and thinking about your position. No, 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 she says. Let's start with empathy. And more importantly, how do you negotiate when you don't have leverage, when you don't feel that you have power? And I know that can feel like a lot of us from time to time. And we're going to learn from Charmaine that this is a skill that we can develop. And when we develop it, we can learn how to read a room. It's almost like we can have these Jedi mind trick powers at our disposal to be able to negotiate and maneuver to help achieve what I would like to say is a win-win, not a win-lose because negotiations in our life, it's never you know, a one transaction deal that people were negotiating with. It's probably lifetime relationships that we're working with and we're working through. So negotiations is a win-win is I get what you want or I get what I want, you get what you want, and everybody's happy. And it takes a lot of presence and a lot of observation and a lot of paying attention and listening to achieve that. So without further ado, let's bring on our guest. I am so excited to introduce to you Shanreen Cruz, who is a negotiations expert and just has such a dynamic background. And if you don't mind, do you mind just talking about your story that brought you to all these amazing areas of expertise, whether it's your legal background and experience, uh, you're you're an author yourself. Yeah, tell us about you, Shanreen. Well, thank you, Angie. I really appreciate that. And thank you for inviting me to be on this show. And I'm just honored to be here. I'm very excited to be talking to everybody out there who's who's listening. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm happy to talk about me. I find myself to be the most boring person around me just because I've created this really incredible life where I'm surrounded by the most amazing people around. But uh, sure, a little bit about me. I was born in Iran and I lived there until I was 11. 
And that was when I was 11, it was 1988, which was the height of the Iran-Iraq war. So at that time, they were up to about six rocket attacks a day into Tehran. Uh, it's it a very similar situation to what we see in Kyiv right now, actually, which is very sad in mm -hmm. Ukraine. And I grew up during that time. And, and the other thing, in addition to the war, was that it was immediately post the Islamic Revolution. So it was literally, you know, you could walk around in a miniskirt and then suddenly you can't. So there was this huge transition that had taken place in Iran that many people were it was it wasn't as though it was a slow evolution in other words it was a huge cultural and legal and political shift and change so it was a time of great turmoil for the country when i was 11 my parents finally succeeded in being able to get us out of the country so we went to canada toronto canada and i gotta tell you i have these really weird memories because i really thought like once we got to canada that it would be streets paved with gold and this sort of really magical place where all your dreams come true and you never have to worry about anything because I was a child and in my brain, you know, we were being rescued. And the reality is that we ended up in a far superior legal and political system, to be sure. You know, mm -hmm. Canada, similar to the United States, is a Western democracy that operates under a constitution that provides fundamental rights. And this was not lost on me, even as an 11 year old. But what also was not lost on me was that I didn't speak the language. We didn't have any money. I didn't look like everyone else. I didn't have the same religion as everyone else. And I felt the weight of these things crushing down on me in a way that, you know, they didn't exist back home in Iran. We had, we were in a much more stable financial situation and socioeconomic class and everybody looked like us and everybody talked like yeah. us. And, and so it was, so having that experience, I remember it was it was a, a saving, but then also an enlightening at the same time that we have definitely reached a place where promises can become reality, but it's not nearly as easy as my childish brain had thought. Eventually, I went to university and then law school. We, Jan J and I were just talking before we went on air about our Michigan experiences because I went to University of Michigan for law school where Angie got her MBA and went and did undergrad. So go blue. Go yeah. blue. <laughs> so yeah, so that was my American experience. And I moved to I moved to America. And my after my second summer of law school, 9-11 happened. And I'm Iranian, right? So now I'm one of the axes of evil here living in America, graduating from law school, about ready to go conquer the world that has a very different connotation now. You know, I'm just like, no, I don't want to conquer yes. anybody. <laughs> I want to follow the rules. I want to stay in the right spaces. I'm right not going to hurt there, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Gosh, I was thinking about that the so, other day. How has that, how that one event just changed so much. Um, so yeah, so bring us back to recent law school grad. What Oh my gosh, what was yes. Going on it in was your life? it was crazy. I had job offers taken away. It was it was a rough time oh. to be Iranian in America because it's not as though you want to justify the actions of the Islamic Republic of Iran, you know? It's not as though I'm a fan of the government, but of course Iran was not responsible for 9/11, but that's besides the point. Certainly I wasn't, right? So <laughs> it was a very odd and challenging time because you don't really know how to answer that question because you don't want to come to the defense of a regime that you have fled and that you have abhorred your whole life. So it was a very, very odd situation to be in. I started practicing. I found a really terrific firm. I loved it. I practiced there for 17 years. One of the reasons I loved it is they paid you a lot, but not too much, but a lot, but not too much. Because if people pay you too much, 
they kind of feel like they own you. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go off and do my own stuff. So I started writing and creating NGOs and giving back and really, really giving back is the right word because I really feel that I've been given a great gift. You know, I didn't win the lottery of being born here, but I won the lottery of being able to come here. And that is a truly remarkable, truly all, you know, warts and all. It's a truly amazing country to be in. What was most amazing to me, and in fact, this was so true for me right after 9-11, was I was in the protests against the Iraq war. And, you know, people might have been a little mean about it, or some people might have been a little racist, but I got to be in a protest against what the United States government was doing, and no one killed me, and no one tortured me, and no one put me in prison. And sure, I had to face some adversity, of course, we all do. But it was really the juxtaposition of all of those things that made me realize even when you are powerless, you you have this incredible power. And it's really about how to tap into that power and how to find ways of connecting with the people who are seemingly opposed to you so that they can see that this opposition does not serve either side in a place where you actually have the capability to speak. I love everything you just said. And that is really why I was excited to have you um, as a guest on a podcast, because I saw your, you know, your, your TED speech, where you talked about tactical empathy and negotiating yourself for yourself, when you don't feel as if you have power. And I cannot tell you how many people I come across with on a day to day basis who, who feel that way, whether it's, you know, going out there for a promotion or negotiating for their self or even stating their opinion in a meeting, they don't feel like they had a strength. In fact, I had a coaching conversation this morning about somebody who's like, listen, I have the best idea for our organization. And I just don't think anybody's going to listen to me. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, everybody's going to listen to you if it's the best idea. Now let's work on the messaging. But talk a little right. bit more about that. Where did you realize that, wow, even if you don't perceive you have power, there's, you do, here's how you tap into it. 100%, you know, and you have to remember also at that time, I was an attorney, so I was a very high level negotiator as it was. And I had been heavily trained to be a negotiator, but I could not go into a room and slap my, you know, fist on the table and shout at the top of my lungs, especially not in that political climate, that wasn't going to serve me. It just wasn't. So I had to find another way of tapping into the power and finding ways of achieving what I wanted to achieve. And what I learned is that if we proceed in life, in life, not just in negotiations, because life is one big negotiation, right? Every day. (laughs) Children, mothers, (laughs) parents out there, you know, every day you're negotiating something. (laughs) 100%. With a level of understanding of the other, that this insight of the other, which is often called empathy, although that word is widely misunderstood to be a very soft term that, that refers to an emotional connection, but it can very well just be an intellectual understanding that if we approach the other, whether as you said, Angie, it's your child or your spouse or your parent or your friend or your business partner or your boss or the opposing counsel, whatever the case might be, if you understand them better, you are significantly more likely to get what you want and preserve the relationship. 
Because as I often tell people, sure, you want to get the raise, but you don't want it to cost you all your friendships at the office, ultimately making your life completely miserable until you leave and quit because nobody can handle your promotion, right? So that's, that's not what you want. You want to yeah. you want to get what you want, but in a way that preserves these meaningful long term relationships. And really, the path to that is understanding empathy. And there are ways of connecting with and understanding other human beings that we all know. I just sort of categorize them, teach you tools to help you access them better. But you know it. I know it. Everybody knows it's sort of in their core and in their gut. It's just a matter of working on it through exercises and becoming better and stronger at this at this ability so that you can read people in the room, respond to what they really mean and what they really want, get them to reveal information. Information is your friend, right? The more information you can get out of people, the better. And then finally reach that accord. One of the things that I, I bet was very instrumental for you developing empathy was probably that 11-year-old girl in Canada in the sense that the first language yeah. we all speak is body language. So I might not speak, you know, English, yet I can read you just, you reveal just by body language. And so just simply observing. Can you share just some thoughts about how to read a room and what you should be looking for when, whether it's you're going up for a promotion or an interview or a negotiation, what are some of the things that yeah. you should be looking for? Oh, I love that you ask this question because nobody asks me, people don't ask me enough about this. So yes, body language and tone. So don't forget words are about seven, eight percent of how we communicate. Tone is about 37% and the rest is body. So body, yes, and tone. And people forget about tone. Right. We know. We know. Right. I know that's what you said, but that's not how you said it. Right. We know that tone can completely change the meaning of a sentence. And yet nobody trains us on reading tone and nobody trains us on on modulating our own tone. But yes, body language and tone. So if you specifically want examples of this, I wasn't expecting this, but that's really fun. I'm happy to give you examples. Yeah, I'd love it. So I can give you some. How about I give you some quick body language examples? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, that show, and it's really important to note that, actually, you know what I'll do is I will tell you the most important lesson in reading body language. Okay, great. The, the most important lesson in reading body language is to establish a baseline. It's really, really important and people always forget it, but this is why you do chit chat before the deposition starts, or this is why you compliment someone's shoes or their hair or something like that. So you can get a sense of what their normal relaxed body language looks like. This is why in a polygraph, first they ask you base questions. Please state your name and your address because they wanna see what your normal brainwave pattern looks like before they ask you to trick the tricky questions to see if your biometric readings depart from that. So when we're looking at body language, eye contact, right? How people are tilting their head, where they're touching in their body, how they're standing, look first to see how they normally are because maybe this person is just really fidgety anyway, right? Or maybe this person has some is on the spectrum and doesn't like to make eye contact. Or maybe this person is Japanese and feels that they should be more like this. And they're not, that's not an indication of deceit. And so for them, because that's culturally appropriate for them. And so establishing that baseline is key. It's number one. So any departure, any departure from baseline, and there are some key departures that I can talk about. Any departure from baseline indicates that they're uncomfortable. 
mm-hmm. that they are probably trying to hide something or have some sort of anxiety. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're telling a lie, but it's as an indicator of a lie. So the reason for that is that when we get uncomfortable and we start to fabricate stories, when we get uncomfortable and start to fabricate stories, our brain, it gets overwhelmed because now it has to handle the truth. It has to handle the falsehood and it has to remember the difference. And that overwhelming just presents itself in body language and tone much more so than in someone's words. So you can look for signs of anxiety. This one's a big one. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I say look for uh, the baseline because I I suffer from migraines and sometimes I have headaches and I just go like this during a meeting because I have a headache. So again, look for the baseline. But this one, any kind of obviously fidgeting, any kind of fidgeting, any kind of, gosh, I wish I had a coffee cup with me, but anything that people put in between you and them, any barrier, if you see someone turning their purse around or bringing it to the front Mm -hmm. or their wine glass is suddenly to the front, they're creating a physical barrier between themselves and you to gain safety in the middle of their anxiety and potentially their lie. So those are some really, really good ones to look for. And then you might look for similar things in tone, any departure from tone, any any especially extreme departure. And you can pick up on tone better than you can pick up on body language. The human earring, hearing is far superior to human vision. So you can hear it if the tone changes. So listen for that as an indication of something's off, right? I love all of this. So again, (laughs) if you're going in for a promotion and your boss says, I'm sorry, there's no opportunities, these are the things that you could be looking for. Or if you're going in to ask for, can advocate for yourself, trying to get either more responsibility or to position yourself for advancement just by paying attention. And I think that was part of the guidance too that you had in actually the conversation is just this listening space or the silence that you can create and knowing too that it's awkward and uncomfortable for you but mm-hmm. but people love to fill it which true. is so oh, yeah like, yeah exactly it's so true so that's yeah that's definitely another tool that we use the one one of silence it's really great sometimes when you combine silence with with the right kind of question and we can teach these these types of questions so let's say you're looking to get more responsibility at at your job and your boss just says something like I just don't think you're quite ready, right? And you want to be defensive and you want to jump in and you want to say all the reasons why you're ready to prove to your boss that you are ready, right? But they think you're not ready, but you don't know why they think that. So just that pause, just that, and you can even do a mirroring of what they just said, I'm not ready, and see what they say most likely they will tell you, well, remember last year when such and such happened and now they've given you what's in their mind, the thing that's holding them back. You didn't have that a minute ago, but you have it now with a little bit of mirroring and a little bit of silence. And then you can explain yourself and then you can ask them this question. What can I do to show you that I am ready? So now what you've done, these are called probing questions. This isn't, it's not, an attack question, it's a, you tell me what I can do. So now what is the boss doing? The boss is literally thinking of what it is that, that you could be doing 
that would get you. So, so they're inventing that scenario in their head. They're suddenly on your side. They're suddenly thinking, well, let's see, I guess this would do it. Right. And now you've got a clear path to this promotion because you have figured out, addressed, right. Mm -hmm. And destigmatized whatever it was that was rolling around in the back of their head, bugging them for some reason. And then they have laid out a plan <laughs> with their own words, right, of what you can do, and you can do it. And so this clears your path so much more than just the defensive of, no, I am ready. I am ready. I'm ready because I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. You've done nothing to convince your boss right now. They were not a part of that conversation. They were a passive recipient of you telling them why you're ready, and it did not address anything or change their mind. These are such fascinating life skills. I feel like I can be a spy now in my own home. But I wonder, <laughs> because I hear from professionals all the time, like, wow, this is really hard to learn. And you are, you're a professor at Northwestern and you, you teach these skills. I know you've got on your website too, online courses to take these types of programs. Can you just yeah. tell the person who's listening, who might be struggling with, Again, I going back to business school, I took a negotiations class, which is very different than what you teach, by the way, because you teach the empathetic approach. We're not talking, you know, your Zopa mm -hmm. or your Batna or all these yeah. little acronyms <laughs> that you're going to get in a negotiation class. You're talking best alternative to the something? negotiated agreement. To the negotiated agreement. Yeah, yes. that's right. <laughs> yeah. And I am a terrible, <laughs> you know, and I'm a terrible negotiator in, in grad school. Everybody wanted to negotiate with me because I'm just like, no, oh, no, I don't no, like to, I don't like to, well, I've gotten better. I think awareness, right? Self-awareness. People are like, oh, let's negotiate with Angie. She gives oh, up her position oh, all the goodness. time. But, now you've tipped your hand to all your audience. So you know about that. <laughs> this was 10 years ago, folks. I'm so much better now. I've been following so people. Much better. I know. Don't <laughs> like haggle you. her over a rug. But, but you. you can learn these these skills. Can can you talk about the growth path that people can find? So if you're again, if you are sitting here listening and just charmed by Charmaine's path and journey and story, and you're hearing her talk about observation skills and learning how to negotiate when you don't feel like you have power, where you want to influence the direction of your life, your career, how does it go? How do you go about developing these skills? Yeah, so <clears throat> I am a total nerd who knows nothing about sports, but I married an athlete. And so I'd like to use a sports analogy, Please do. If, if you yeah, will, yeah. From, from the perspective of a nerd who knows nothing about sports. If, if I were to decide that I was going to learn to play basketball, it's not a sport I know how to play. I haven't played basketball. I immigrated as a young child. I knew how to kick a ball, but I didn't really know how to play basketball. And I never approached it in my teen years. First, you start learning to dribble right? Then you start taking the shots. No, you're not going to be Michael Jordan or whoever the modern equivalent of Michael Jordan is. I am very old as we've established right away. But your learning curve goes like this. I mean, you very quickly will learn the fundamentals of basketball and you very quickly will move from here to here, right? The rest of it is going to be a, a slower, a, a slower transition. But those very, very basic skills are so easy to learn. They are already inherently part of you. It's really just a matter of pointing them out and working on them, right? So how about I take your audience through a quick exercise right now? Love it. Really quick. So this one is a tonal exercise. 
my name is Bond, James Bond, versus my name is Bond, James Bond. So do you hear the difference when I end my sentences in an upward inflection versus a downward inflection? The upward inflection makes me sound very uncertain. Mm-hmm. Is your name James Bond? I mean, that's certainly not <laughs> it's certainly not threatening in any way. It's not aggressive at all. Just learning how to modulate your tone between upward and downward. And I'm not telling you now that upward is bad and downward is good. It depends on the circumstance because sometimes you do want to make the other person more relaxed. And the way to do that, one of the ways to do that is just to end your sentences in an upward you know, modulation and transition. That tonal difference, though, between power and no power can truly turn around the way the room responds to you. So when you come into a room and you say, my name is Shermin Cruz. I am a law professor. I love chocolate. Versus, my name is Shermin Cruz, and I'm a law professor, and... I love chocolate. You mean, it's just the reality is one of those people sounded a lot stronger than the other, a lot more powerful than the other. And that is just one tonal exercise. And if you can learn to modulate that, be more powerful when you need it, a little bit less intimidating when you need it, a little bit more inviting when you need it, and change it up as you go along, you will accomplish so much more in your negotiations than you have in the past. And that's just one tip. And that is genius. And it's right. I'm just as you're saying that out loud, I'm thinking, I think I'm ready for a raise. Or or, I think I'm ready for a raise. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's so true. I mean, it's I heard somebody telling uh, mostly women that, you know, don't don't start your ideas or your suggestions with well, I think You know, don't skip the I think. Say, I think we should turn the system around. Don't say, just say, we should turn the system around, right? But the reality is the way you say I think, I'm thinking we should turn the system around. It's really not, if you want to soften the message by saying I think, that might make sense in your context. But then you can strengthen the message with your tone. And practicing that, not just what you're going to say, but how you're going to say it before you walk in, it's it, it'll change your life. And there we have it, friends, listening to Charmaine on Berani Radio. Just a few simple tricks and tips to help you not only advocate for yourself, but claim some of your, claim some of your power, claim your power. <laughs> and one small tip to really help position yourself and showcase your strength. Where can people learn more about you and the work that you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Just feel free to go to my website, sharemingcruise.com. I I have my master course on there that's available. And that is the same course that I give to my students at Northwestern Law School. It's very similar. It's actually a little bit more meaty than what I teach at Northwestern. So feel free to check it out. We'd love to see you there. Absolutely. Well, this has been so valuable. Thank you so much for being here today and being a part of this conversation. Thank you. I had so much fun. Hey there, wasn't that an exciting conversation? I wish that we had five more hours to just sit here and I would pepper Charmaine with questions to hear her take because I heard 
so many practical tips that I know I can start applying right away. So the three takeaways that I have is first and foremost, tonality. And now I'm going to be paying attention to everybody when they introduce themselves. See, I just did it there, that upward swing. I feel like that's part of my vernacular, but I can change that if I want to and when I want to, especially during a negotiation. So that was kind of the second piece that I wanted to bring us into. We can learn these skills. It's kind of like as she was talking about basketball. We may not be the Michael Jordan, but we can definitely get ourselves to a position where we can play the game. This is a learned behavior. And so wherever you are on the learning curve, just recognize we can always get better. And obviously Charmaine too offered her masterclass. So go to her website, it's gonna be in the show notes. We'll make sure that you get the resources you need to definitely improve in the skill. The skill I obviously, as I shared, can always improve in too. The final thing that I thought was really just genius guidance, especially if you're in a more significant negotiation, is being able to understand how people show up in their natural state, in their baseline. That is a great way to start just being able to read the room. So again, you observe someone, you see how they normally quote unquote are, their natural state. And if you walk into the room, you can start to look for cues and that can help you maneuver, at least be a little bit faster on your feet, which is something I know that I am always trying to do. Well, that again, friends, was a great conversation. I am so honored to be able to provide these guests for you for all of our benefit. And I look forward to staying in touch. And if you want to get a hold of me, check out what's going on in the AW, which is, I guess, the Angie Wachowski world. Go to angieconnect.com stay engaged, sign up for the newsletter. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast, so you're here. But we've also got great programs that we're offering totally free, just to make sure you're getting what you need in order to bet on yourself. Thanks so much.